You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. If you will, take your Bible this morning and ask to turn to John chapter 7, John chapter 7. And as you're turning there, all of our music, I trust, stirred and challenged you. And thankful for God's grace and mercy in our lives, His grace that gives us music and all that we feel and sense because of Him. But I was struck by, I think it was the very first lyric line that we sang today, something about God calling us out of the deepest night. <laughs> and I don't know if that's how you felt this morning, you know, <laughs> God has called me, I have to go to church today, and it's still the deep of night. But uh, hopefully we kind of built from there, so that's good musically today. But uh, I'm grateful for the Lord and His provision, and looking forward to our text this morning. John chapter 7, let's begin, if you will, in verse number 14. So we're going to look at a couple of verses there. We're going to look at uh, several verses in this chapter, but begin today by uh, looking at verse 12, and we'll read down through verse 15, and then we'll skip down to verse 46. Verse 12, and there was, there, were some, uh, there was much murmuring among the people concerning him, for some said he is a good man, others said nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spake openly of him, this is Jesus, for fear of the Jews. For now about, now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple, notice, and taught, key word today. And the Jews marveled, saying, how knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Go down, if you would, to verse 46. The officers, these would be those sent by the Pharisees, by the Jewish leaders of the day to incarcerate, to take Jesus away. And they did not. Verse 46, the officers answered, never man spake like this man. And so we want to look at today as we're talking about drawing closer to Jesus through the lens of the gospel of John. John, the apostle who leaned upon the breast of Jesus, uh, who really was just, a, just at least a hair closer to Jesus than the other disciples in many ways, um, his gospel gives us much instruction on that, and so we want to study on that again today by looking at this, Jesus as the master teacher. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us today. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the privilege to gather today in this place and to study your word anew and afresh. Um, thank you, Lord, for at least on the calendar what this means as we now move into spring, and Lord, all that that means for us, we thank you for the cycle of seasons, and uh, Lord, even seeing the daylight lengthen uh, one day at a time. We're grateful for that, and thank you for seeing us through uh, these winter months with all the ups and downs and, and many challenges that have been faced and continue to linger as represented in this room. Pray, Father, as we now enter uh, our study today, that we would appreciate what you want to be in our lives as teacher, specifically your son. Help us, Lord, to be open to learning Help us, Lord, to be willing to acknowledge where there is ignorance, where there is delinquency, where there is a disconnect between what we know and what we do. And I pray, Lord, that you would challenge us through your word today. Thank you for Jesus and his desire to reveal himself to us and to reveal you to us as our Father. Um, thank you for his instruction that, Lord, will be activated again this morning as we're faithful to the text. Bless this study. Be honored in it, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, have you ever heard the expression or this statement before, kind of this question, if you will? Here's the question. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? And I don't know how you would respond to that question, kind of like, did Adam have a belly button or can God make a rock so big he can't move it? I mean, there's all kinds of questions we throw around. But does a tree that falls in the forest, does it make a sound if no one's around? Um, I was asking some of my preacher friends, what's it like to preach on Time Change Sunday? I like the one in the fall. We get the extra sleep. Maybe you parents with young kids, maybe you like this one better. I don't know, because they still are up, you know, in the fall. But um, we were kind of just joking, some of us tongue-in-cheek, of what it's like to preach on uh, the Sunday of Time Change in the spring. And one of my preacher friends said this, preaching on the Sunday morning of spring time change is like a tree falling in the woods, <laughs> that, that same expression. I'm going to make some noise today, and many of you are good at looking awake with your eyes open, 
So I appreciate you at least pretending to be alert and engaged. Give it to me, preacher, today. Just give it to me, the whole thing, all right? Take as long as you want, because I'm, I'm happy here, you know, sleeping with my eyes open. I, I was tempted today to put in my notes some random, bizarre thing that I could say, just to see if you're awake, you know? Even maybe some heresy, just throw out some, just to see if you would be paying attention. I won't do that today, but I hope today that you're engaged in not just my teaching and preaching, but more importantly, the Lord and what he wants to reveal to us. Key statement, I'll say it at the end again, but if Jesus is the master teacher, then I can only be close to him if I am teachable. So if I want to be close to Jesus, the one who is the master teacher, I must be teachable. And the more teachable I am, the more potential I have to be closer in proximity, not just academically or intellectually, but on a heart level uh, with this one Jesus who so graciously and mercifully wants to teach his disciples. Now, the context of our study today is around the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, This feast would have been observed annually by the Jewish people. It was a feast during the harvest season as they would commemorate the wilderness wanderings, and they would think back to being uh, in that season of Jewish history, and they would celebrate that. And Jesus, in the middle of that feast, he comes to Jerusalem and begins to teach some things uh, that you and I need to hear uh, even again uh, this morning. And so the question is, what I'd like you to think about as we study on this, is notice the different reactions to Jesus' teaching. And try to see where you most identify, which group or which response, and then seek to move toward that which Christ commends and that, which, uh, that group which receives the most out of the teachings of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus evokes in each of us when he teaches a reaction. You can't just say whatever, because by saying that, that's a response. You cannot be passive toward the authoritative teaching and doctrine of Jesus Christ. And so each of these in this story we're, we're going to look at today in chapter 7 of John shows some different reactions to the teaching ministry of Jesus Christ. So the question today is this, in a day filled with closed-minded people, even Christians, who already know it all or have already reached all of their conclusions, how do we allow Jesus to expand our thinking, our understanding, and our appreciation of uh, the truth of God. So let's talk about today two mandated responses that we must have. These are must responses to the teaching of Jesus that help us draw closer uh, to him. All right, number one, let's talk for a few minutes, first of all, about he is a teacher that, number one, generates controversy. Jesus is a teacher who generates controversy. Now, we're going to talk about it briefly in just a moment again, but this is on the heels of Jesus feeding the 5,000. This is on the heels of him healing the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. We talked about that a few weeks ago in chapter 5. And this has now aroused the interest of the crowd. They've heard of him. And they begin to debate and discuss who he is and the significance of that uh, in their own lives. Can I say this as we begin today? You cannot draw closer to Jesus without being associated with his controversy. Like, I know for me, even today in this room, I'd love to say something we all can nod our head, and for us old school guys, we can amen from the, the, the core of our gut today, or whatever it is in our, our setting. We, I'd love to say things we all agree on. The problem is, I can't teach what Jesus taught if that's my motivation, and neither can you. And so to associate with Jesus as your teacher is always going to include associating with the controversy stirred up by who he is. All right, let's talk about a couple things as it relates to this controversy. Go to verse 12. And there there was much murmuring among the people concerning him, For some said, he is a good man. Others said, nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for the fear of the Jews. Number one, jot this down. Draw closer to Jesus' controversial character. So the first thing that's that's controversial about our Jesus, the one who wants to teach us, is that his character is called into question. Have you noticed that the gas pump is a painful journey lately? Have you noticed that? One of the things I'm, I'm, I love about us as human beings is we try to process pain often with humor. Um, and I've read all kinds of hilarious things. People, you know, I took out a mortgage, so we should be able to refill the tank by the end of the week. You know, we should get approved by the bank, you know, and all kinds of tongue-in-cheek things. Um, 
someone was sharing this. I don't know if this is actually true, but they were joking. They said, I checked the Kelly Blue Book value for my car. You know how they have all the questions, what color it is, what model, you know where I'm going with this? Is the gas tank full or empty? That's a, a major disparity in the value of a vehicle nowadays, right? Um, it, it's, it, it's what's inside of the vehicle, not just what's under the hood, but how much is in the fuel tank. Can I just tell you as it relates to Jesus Christ, the first thing we have to establish is who do we believe he is? What is his motive? What are, what, what are his motives? What is his character? And so we see them wrestling with this, and we too must wrestle with our belief in who Jesus is. Before we can believe a teacher's teaching, we have to first believe in who they are and their character, if you will, that either undermines or affirms their teaching. Now in verse 12, as we just read, you notice that people are wrestling with and working through who do they feel Jesus is. One of the things that I've come to terms with as a teacher of uh, the Bible and just a believer is if we wait for everybody in our lives to accept and trust Jesus and trust those who identify with Jesus, we will never fully become his student. Um, I think some of us just wish everybody would believe in Jesus and accept who he is and put their faith in him. And as a result, we let that distract us from giving ourselves fully to his instruction. And in verse 13, you notice it alludes to, Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. And so you see the, the Jewish rulers and their opinion had yet to be fully revealed. And so the people were afraid to even say what they thought of Jesus out of fear of being expelled from the synagogue. And, and so there was this, this turmoil in the hearts and minds of those in this day. It's interesting because the synagogues were a place of teaching. The synagogues were a place of teachers, of rabbis who would teach on the Torah. They would teach on uh, God's Word. And these people wrestled with cutting off access to that to identify possibly with Jesus Christ. May I remind you today to allow Jesus to be your primary teacher requires you and me to let go of anyone else's, quote, teacher perspective on our faith. Um, one of the things that I, that's been freeing to me in ministry, I don't know if you realize, but we pastors have navigated a bit of controversy these last two plus years, sides on everything. Um, and I will tell you what has freed our church and our ministry and me specifically is to focus on the teachings of Jesus. And whatever any other teacher or mentor or college or church or religious perspective or heathen perspective has of me is secondary to am I being faithful to the teaching of Jesus Christ. And so to be his student, we have to be willing to let go of those who claim to be teachers who may not have an accurate view of our Christ. You and I will never fully benefit from the content that Jesus teaches until his character has your confidence. Where are you doubting or wondering about who Jesus is or his agenda for your life? And as a result, you're holding out where you could be a more fully committed student of his teaching. He always has our best in mind. It always glorifies the Father. It is always in our best interest. All right, look at verse 14. Now, about the mist of the feast, so they're all wondering where he's at and who he is. Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And so we see number two, jot this down, draw closer to Jesus' controversial doctrine. So not just his character was in question and created a stir, but number two, his doctrine. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. So verse 14, he comes up in the midst of the Feast of the Tabernacle. Likely, from what we can see in the text, there was a porch connected to the temple, a place where people were allowed to gather. And we see that reference in the book of Acts later. And, and Jesus, in that place, he begins to teach, and people begin to throng, people begin uh, to gather. Verse 15, and the Jews marveled, saying, how knoweth this man letters, having never learned? And so as he begins to teach, not because of his pedigree, not because of his background or the, 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 the college that he went to, the university that he had attended, they're amazed by the depth of his teaching. Verse 16, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. And so he points them not to himself. This is not coming from just inside of me. This is from God himself. This is from God alone. 
When you and I struggle with the thinking that we have versus the teaching of Jesus Christ, are we willing to acknowledge that where there's a difference, my thinking and my own teaching is human at best, and his teaching is divine? That collision, not just in others, but in us, are we willing to acknowledge that his doctrine is God's doctrine, his teaching is directly from the Father? Verse 17, he goes on, if any man will do his will, he will know of the do- he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. And so he challenges them to do what he's teaching, and as they do it, they will be uh, confident and affirmed in their hearts that his teaching is not his own, but it is from the Father. One of our biggest issues with the teaching of Jesus is we, we, we want to hear it, we want to think on it, but we don't do it. Um, The other day I heard this statement, someone said this, obedience is the organ of spiritual knowledge. So I think some of the reason that we struggle with the teaching of Jesus is because we we hear it, we even loosely associate with it, but we're not willing to do it. How much of God's Word, how much of Christ's doctrine do we really believe if the the requirement or the, the metric used to evaluate that is how much of it are we doing? Not how much do we know, quote-unquote, as someone said, to know and not do is to not know, right? I think we claim to know, uh, and yet we're not doing it. So Jesus says, you'll know it's from God if you'll do it. If you'll do what I'm teaching, it will help you resolve what is otherwise a controversial doctrine. All right, verse 18. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. And so it now speaks to the motive of why he teaches what he teaches. And it reminds him he's not seeking his own glory, but the glory of the Father. It's hard for me to admit this today, to be honest with you, but Jesus Christ is the only teacher that we can say with absolute certainty is teaching without seeking personal glory. In fact, every other teacher, including the ones on staff at this church regularly, I'm sure, because I know it's true of me, don't teach purely from only selfless motives. Any other teacher you heed, any other teacher you listen to, trust me, including yours truly, at times my own self is inserted into that. Only Jesus, the master teacher, is doing it only for the glory of the Father. So why would we question his doctrine? His motives are pure. His character, he's divine himself. He is trying to communicate to us uh, the word of God. The doctrine of Jesus doesn't need the props and pedigree of man to be valid. Where, listen, here's the question today, where are you waiting upon a more humanly sanctioned and sophisticated version of Jesus that in reality is hindering all uh, that he is willing and able to teach you if you would let go of those requirements? We often are in bondage. We want Jesus to be more official. We want him to be more Uh, more uh, authoritative and supported by the props of human convention. May we lose that desire and let him speak to us as directly from God. All right, number three, look there in verse 21. Go down a verse or two there. Verse 21, Jesus answered and said unto them, I've done one work, and ye all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers, and ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath receiveth circumcision, that law, that the law of Moses should not be broken. Are ye angry at me? Now he's referring back to the healing of this man, because I made a man every whit or in every part whole on the Sabbath day. Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Number three, draw closer to Jesus' controversial works. So we have to draw closer to his controversial character, his controversial doctrine. Thirdly, we must be willing to draw closer to his controversial works. See, our teacher that we follow, Jesus, isn't just talk. He does things. His his teaching has power to it. It has efficacy. It, It does something. And are we willing to associate with the fruit or the product of the teaching of Jesus Christ. Um, show you this picture. This kind of captured the spirit of this, this idea of, I'll get to that in just a moment, this idea of works. Um, I think sometimes if we're not careful, we like what Jesus says, but we don't like how he implements it. Um, and I'll show you the picture in just a minute. we we'll get to our next point. 
But I think sometimes the teachings of Jesus, they're meant to accomplish something. And are we willing to associate with that? Um, you ever been with someone who gets out of the conviction of what's being said? Maybe you have to share they're a sinner and they need a savior. What happens next? Are you willing to identify with that? Um, you counsel someone and maybe they, they, they chafe under that or whatever the specific thing is. Are we willing to associate with what his teaching does in real time in space? And so Jesus here reminds him of this impotent man that he has healed. And they're marveling. Notice he says in verse 21, they marveled not because of the miracle, but because he did it on the Sabbath. They were focused on man's teaching, man's law, the contrivances of, uh, of religiosity missing the miracle of what he had just done. Uh, back in verse 19, he says, Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why do you go about to kill me? He says, you guys talk about violating the law. You want to kill me. Last time I checked, that's in the law. <laughs> that's in there. It's interesting how selective we are uh, with, with what parts of, quote, the law we comply with. And so he brings them back to conviction as they reject his works to try to keep the minutia of their tradition. How inconsistent uh, are the people who oppose Christ and reject His Word? And here's why they're so inconsistent. They're so shallow. They're focused on the superficial instead of the substantive things that God is doing. I hear this regularly in churches. I don't know that I've heard it here. Maybe you've heard it here. But I've had some who will say, I just wish our church would go deeper. Maybe you wish the pastor would go shorter. That would be all you're for, okay? <laughs> But I, wish, I just wish we had some settings where we really got into the meat of the Word, the deeper things of God. And I'm not mocking that or marginalizing that. But I heard the other day someone said this, the vast majority of Christians are educated past their level of obedience. I, I don't think we need to go one iota deeper, probably anytime soon. What we need to deal with is where we are not letting God do His work in our lives by complying with what we already know. Believing it, obeying it, spreading it, identifying with it, and losing all of those extraneous things to focus on what God has called us to obey. If you and I would just do what we already know, God would do some things in our lives that we've been itching and wishing He would do for years. Are we doing our part giving room for God to do His works His way. All right, now go to verse 27. So we skip a few verses again. Verse 27, now the crowd is processing Jesus further. Howbeit we know this man whence he is, but when Christ, the Messiah, cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Verse 28, then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and you know whence I am, and I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. All right, lastly, under this first point this morning, draw closer to Jesus' controversial origin. So where did he come from, his origin? We have to identify with his controversial character, his doctrine, his works, and lastly, in this area, with his origin. All right, the picture. So I'm going to read you a caption and you see if you can track with this picture. Here's the caption. This dish you see in front of you is a pepper-crusted pork mussolini and asparic pureed mustard seed. Now, have you ever been in a restaurant like, that just looks like an average whatever, and you paid 30 bucks for this dinky... Do you know what that is? It's hot dogs with a little pepper on top next to a puddle of mustard. That's, that's what you're seeing there, okay? And what gives it away is the Walmart paper plate that it's on, okay? That, that's, that's what gave it away to me. But, but we can prop things up, right? But where did it actually come from? I think, I don't know where hot dogs come from. To be, I don't think I want to know where they come from, all right? I've heard, I've heard theories on that. Not from a healthy source, probably. But the origin of things. Can I remind you that Jesus Christ comes from a different place than every other teacher that you know? He doesn't have the background of, of whoever you admire and revere and follow. Uh, his origins are greater. Um, I've written several research papers in my day. I don't know if you can go back to high school or college or if you did especially graduate work. But one of the big things is either endnotes or footnotes, and you have to quote your sources. The teaching of Jesus Christ, literally footnote after footnote, is God. God, God, the one who inhabited eternity with God, that's the source of our teacher. 
So why in the world would I listen to others with lesser sources? I don't care what Harvard or Yale or whatever, not that, that those trainings and disciplines are not maybe important, but their sources are always inferior to the source of our teacher. Do we really believe that? Or is Jesus' teachings, yeah, it's in there, but it's antiquated, it's outdated, it's out of touch? No, this is sourced in God himself. And so the teachings of Jesus should speak to us with great uh, authority. And so may we see the source of Jesus that often brings such controversy to others. Here it is. We as Christians believe that our Jesus, our Savior, is God. That delineates and distinguishes us from all other religions and faiths in many ways. Uh, and so we have to remember the source of our Jesus. Scripture is clear on that. Now, just two things quickly. We read verse 27 and 28. He first talks about in verse 27 through 29 where he came from. All right, So the first area of his source is where he's from. Um, we use the term, don't we? Well, consider the source. You know, you remember last time when they misled us. When we consider the source of Jesus, it, it only affirms, it only further undergirds our confidence uh, in his teaching. And so they were thinking of where he was from physically. And we know where Jesus is from, this one that's before us. And yet they forgot where he ultimately was from, which was from God himself. And then in verse 30 through 36, um, for sake of time, just go down, if you would, to verse 33. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while I am with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. And ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and, whither I, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go, that we shall not find him? We go unto the dispersed, the Jews among the Gentiles, and teach the Gentiles. What manner of saying is this, that he said, Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither you cannot come. So he also talks about where he has gone to, where he came from, and where he has returned unto. And this little while that's referenced there in verse 33, Jesus from that moment until he ascended was only six months. There was this small window for the crowd before him to hear God teaching to them through the ministry of Jesus Christ. And can I just tell you again today to remind you, all of us have a window. There's only a little while to first accept and receive Jesus as Savior. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus who died on the cross for my sins. There has to be a moment, a birth date, where I pass from death to life. Do we have that? This is another moment of this little while that we all have uh, to receive his teaching as it relates to salvation. And then as believers as well, are we willing to uh, believe his teaching, receive his teaching, benefit from what he alone reveals to us? 2 Corinthians 6.2, the end of the verse says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. And so may we respond to what he has revealed to us because of his origin. The world and all who go along with it can debate all they want about the origins of our Christian teaching and our Jesus. But no matter what, he came from God, he went back to God, and he will return to judge this planet on behalf of God. He is God. Don't forget his origins as you debate whether you're going to believe his word and submit to his authority. He's bigger than you. He's bigger than me. He's bigger than any teacher that we otherwise would follow. And so he is God. C.S. Lewis said this, I'm trying, he was doing a, a speech and he said this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. He said this, that is the one thing we must not say. You cannot, you can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Back in verse 20, he's accused of that in our text. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with, an, with a patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. He cannot just be a teacher or a good teacher. He either is God himself in the flesh, revealing God to us, or he is nothing. It's all or nothing with this teacher who generates controversy. And what I love, though it's, a, it's an awkward conversation sometimes, is to be in the space where Jesus is revealing to people, no, I'm not one of many teachers. I am the teacher. You can't know God without me. You can't see God without me. You can't have relationship with God except by me. 
All right, number two, let's talk for a few minutes about a second aspect of this teacher. Number two, he requires a conclusion. So he doesn't just stir up the crowd and let everybody just kind of work it out on their own. He also mandates, draws us to a conclusion. Now, I don't know what you woke up to this morning besides your spouse who was a little extra grumpy or whatever the case may be, or your kids or your neighbor or whatever, who's like, what are you up so early for? But I I saw that this was, this is just a caption of what was on my newsfeed this morning. So here are the top three stories at about 6.03 a.m. this morning, the painful time we're on now, okay? Um, Top one, deadly airstrikes. Now we have the Russian military moving toward NATO's eastern flank. Uh, Bottom left, I don't know if you track this story, this just crossed the newswire overnight. Officials reveal the toll of an Iranian missile attack on U.S. consulate in Iraq. Um, There also was attack on some Israeli um, uh, positions as well. And then thirdly, on the right, this has been tracking a bit as well, worst consequences, China warns world against providing military aid to Taiwan. Our world is, is raging right now, right? Do you know the potential of these three stories alone, of how sideways everything could go if things shift in the wrong direction? Can I tell you this? I don't know how all of these stories are going to conclude, but I have found by reaching a conclusion about Jesus Christ that's based upon the Word of God and applied by the Spirit of God, I can handle these stories. I can handle wherever these stories lead me and your grandkids and your kids. Uh, the conclusion of it all is Jesus. And so it's key that we reach a conclusion about Him, which leads us then to be able to process the tensions, the, the challenges of uh, our world. And so basically here it is. You have to pick a side with Jesus. By not picking a side, you have chosen a side. And so are we going to identify with him by reaching the right conclusion? All right, let's go back to the text now and watch some conclusions that were made by the crowd that was processing this Jesus just six months before his ascension. Go back to verse 3. His brethren, so these would be brothers and sisters born after Jesus to the the, the marital union between Joseph and Mary. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence. This is prior to what we read in verse 12. And go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. Now here's, that sounds good in one sense, but notice the motive, verse 5. For neither did his brethren believe in him. All right, let's talk about some conclusions that we each have to process as it relates to Jesus as master teacher. Number one, jot this down. Draw closer to Jesus, conclusive unbelief. There are some, when we associate with Jesus, they're going to disbelieve what Jesus teaches and therefore what we hopefully have chosen to believe. Draw closer to Jesus, conclusive unbelief. Now, I was thinking about this. I don't know where uh, Heidi is right now in the building. I think I'm safe. I don't see her here, I don't think. So here we go, all right? Um, She's probably, maybe she's watching me right now in the nursery. But anyway, I live with a teacher, okay? Um, And the boys and I joke about this sometimes. She will get the teacher voice with us. Any of you relate to that that have, and sometimes we deserve it, okay, for the record, okay? I'll yield that sometimes, okay? But it's almost like she, and there's like a tone. You know what I'm talking about? The teacher tone? Like you guys are all peons, you're idiots. Listen to me as I guide you to the light, okay? Or whatever, I don't know. That's at least, and sometimes we can't find the light without her, okay? I will acknowledge that. But there's a teacher voice to her. And we joke about it sometimes. Yes, Mrs. Snowed or whatever. You know, we'll kind of just that little jab there. And then we get a detention or something. But anyway, um, which for me might look a little different than a high school student, but the couch or the doghouse or whatever. Um, can you imagine living in the same house with Jesus? The one who at 12 had stunned the most endowed and entrenched teachers of the day. Before we dismiss the brethren here and say, how could you? Well, let's at least pause for a minute and think what it would be like to live with the master teacher. He always said the right thing. He always knew the right thing. Now and then he corrected probably dad Joseph, you know, humanly speaking, or his mother. Just the annoyance of that, the the irritation of that constantly. So that's the spirit here in these first few verses of our text today 
uh, where they're processing what is disbelief and what he's claiming to be true between him and Jehovah God. And so I don't know their motives for sure. Here are a few thoughts. They, they wanted him to manifest himself openly. Why? Perhaps they wanted the attention that would come with being related to him, though I, I would maybe lean toward that not being the reason. More likely, they were envious of his fame. And this would be a way to urge him to overextend himself and to overexpose himself and, and then the, the setbacks that maybe that would produce in his life. But his brethren came to the conclusion of unbelief. May I remind us today, because the issue is not just what we know, but what we believe, that ultimately the teaching of Jesus is not just academic fodder for our minds, its target is our heart. What's the conclusion of your heart? Not what you say, not what you think. What do you believe about Jesus? And have you reached the conclusion of faith or belief when others choose unbelief? Where are there heart-level doubts between you and Jesus that hinder you fully accessing His teaching, His doctrine, His revelation in your life? Now, the glorious end of the story in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14 We're just a few verses removed from Pentecost and the Holy Spirit falling, and it says that the brethren were in the upper room praying. And in verse 14, for those of us who maybe struggle with unbelief toward the teachings of Jesus, it says, these all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, here it is, and with his brethren. So if today this finds you to this point having a conclusion of unbelief toward Jesus as the teacher, what he says about sin, what he says about God, what he says about eternity, you can turn from that. And we see the brethren willing to change change their conclusion and Jesus more than willing to welcome them in a relation with him. All right, go down if you went out of verse 37. We see a second conclusion or aspect of conclusion referenced in verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, so this is now the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified or ascended. Number two, jot this down, draw. Number two, closer to Jesus, conclusive spirit. The spirit, the spiritual uh, conclusion. So unbelief is one aspect of conclusion. Number two, there is the spirit or the attitude. um, The attitude that we have toward Jesus and his teachings. Um, I don't know how many of you are coffee drinkers. Probably all were coffee drinkers this morning. Um, I would have to ask, multiply worship, uh, the counter there. If our numbers went up, I would assume maybe they did uh, today. I can't explain this to you, but would you agree with me? Whatever your, your hot, especially hot beverage of choice is, my mom would, I don't know if I've told you this, my mom would drink hot water. Literally, I'm not kidding you, just water, hot. So maybe that's you, or you're all the way up to us really edgy coffee drinkers, you know, the dark roast, um, whatever it is. But doesn't the cup it's in matter? Have you ever, like, I, we have all kinds of random mugs, and I will just stand there like, what kind of day is it? Do I want, and sometimes I even pick a mug that's my wife's. I don't know why. I'm like feeling more logical. I don't, just kidding. Don't tell her I said that either. Whatever it is. But I just, like, it's, the coffee's the same. I have an exact ratio. Do you? Like, I know how my coffee's going to be made. But the mug, it matters. I'm going to hold that mug. I'm going to, you know, over the vapors coming out of it, contemplate the morning or whatever, but the mug matters. Can I just tell you, sometimes we focus so much in our processing of the teaching of Christ on the, the vessel versus what's inside the vessel, we're missing much of what the teaching of Christ wants to accomplish. Here's my question to you today. What's your attitude about the teachings of Jesus? Not, not just the action, we touched on that already. How do you feel is it resentful? Is it duty-bound? Or is there, a, is there a, a liberty there to let God uh, create this growth in you, this learning in you that happens only when your spirit and God's spirit together are engaged through the teachings of Christ? Now, the context here is key. We kind of just blitz through verse uh, number 37, but this is the last day of the feast. 
And the way this would work is they had the Feast of Tabernacles where every day they would go to a pool and they would gather water from it, likely the pool of Siloam. Um, and they would, excuse me, pour it into a silver basin at the altar of the burnt offering uh, for each of those first seven days. On the eighth day, which is what is being described in verse 37, there is no water being transferred. And it's in that moment that Jesus stands up and says uh, these words to them. Uh, Those who had gone through the observance of the Feast of the Tabernacles, and yet they're leaving again for the umpteenth year, still unsatisfied. And Jesus says, I have something greater to offer you. Not just physical water, but water that's from above, and specifically the moving of God's Spirit in uh, your hearts. And so he stands up and offers to them the, the understanding needed to understand this feast and to understand himself and the teaching that he's about to reveal to them. Verse 38, as you, as you notice when we read it, he now equates the drinking to believing. So if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. What does he mean by that? He's saying in verse 38, if you believe on me. And so it is by believing, having a spirit of faith, having an attitude of faith and trust leads to satisfaction that Christ alone can give. And what's fascinating to me is the end of the verse where he says, out of his belly, he quotes from the Old Testament, out of his belly shall flow rivers of water. So the teaching of Jesus Christ is not just meant to satisfy us, but it is then to flow out of us to those who need to be taught. So you may say, hey, Pastor, I don't know that it's a big deal whether Jesus is my teacher and he's the primary voice in my heart and life and head. But what about your kids? What about your grandkids? What about others that you influence through the ministry here or out in the, in the community at large? Uh, our own processing of Christ's teaching and the spirit we have toward it will rub off on others. And so as we learn, as we submit, as we rejoice in what God has revealed to us, it impacts others around us. And in verse 39, he says, just as a clarifier, John there in parentheses, the Spirit has yet to come and will come at the day of Pentecost. And and so they were waiting upon that. Um, I've been trying to show you at least one picture. This is a picture of the Pool of Siloam. Um, So the pool would have been, we kind of walked down around, um, down around uh, like where you're at down this way and then back to the left um, or to my right here. Uh, and the steps down, those steps are original. Now you see there's some wood that's been added to kind of complete the step where it had eroded. This whole pool was buried. Uh, we're in the shadows of the walls of the old city. This is very close to the old city. And um, this is where obviously the blind man was healed. Um, and, and to the left there, about three quarters of an acre, three quarters of an acre is how big this pool is. It was a massive pool. Um, and it was for the common people. And this is likely the pool that they dip water from and then would take into, um, put there, as I mentioned, into the temple and its worship and observance of this feast. One thing that was really cool about the trip that I had not thought of is, if you thought about, because it talks about Pentecost, where did they baptize 3,000 people? Now, here's what's interesting. This pool was used for any cleansing that would be before a holy day or feast a very familiar place to the average person. There were other private baths or pools that the wealthy or affluent could go to. It's very likely that in this three-quarter acre pool, the early converts were baptized. That was just a bam. In fact, they found a podium, uh, a, a, a edifice or a rock outcropping man-made that also could have been possibly a place, a place of public address where Peter could have preached that message on the day of Pentecost. So there, there's foreshadowing here. Jesus is talking about the spirit that's going to come and, and that moment where it all clicks and the spirit falls and now they understand what God is doing. Uh, so Jesus is reminding us that the spirit, our spirit and God's spirit together alone produce the full fruit in understanding of his teaching. See, to reject the teaching of Jesus is to stifle the impact of that teaching, not just to you, but through you. To thirst for and believe in his teaching is to unleash a spiritual tsunami in the lives of those that you teach and you influence. Man, if our spirit could get right toward the teaching of Jesus, who could learn of our Savior, who could learn of our Lord, who could learn of his grace, his mercy, his love, and his truth. And so the spiritual conclusion is just as important as the heart, the belief or unbelief that we possess. What's your spiritual outlook and attitude 
toward the teaching of Jesus. All right, go to verse 40. And there's a third conclusion, aspect of this conclusion that we, we must wrestle with this morning. Verse 40, many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said of a truth, this is the prophet or the Messiah. Others said, this is the Christ, all right? So there's a direct reference to it. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? Verse 43, so there was a division among the people because of him. Thirdly, jot this down, draw closer to Jesus' conclusive identity. They're wrestling with who he is. We saw it earlier. We see it again. The wrestling with who Jesus is. Many who listened to his teaching were convinced that this was the prophet that Moses had spoken about back in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 and 18. Others were even willing to acknowledge that Jesus was the Christ or the Messiah. Some, as we see, thought that was impossible because they saw that no Messiah came from Nazareth. Uh, And so they're wrestling with what they know and what they see in Scripture, processing the identity of Jesus. And it's interesting that they talk about he comes from the town of Bethlehem. Could they not have found that out if they really worked at it? I think sometimes we, we settle for a lesser view of Jesus because it's convenient. Like, search the Scriptures. They are they which testify of me. Like, dig into it. If you, if you struggle to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, let God's Word, let God's Spirit, let uh, His revealing process be at work at you. Would, be, would you be open uh, to Him revealing Himself on His terms and in His way? Here's what I find, even with our young people and us that aren't so young today, is we're letting others tell us who Jesus is or who He's not. Can I tell you, God knows better than anyone who Jesus is. He's given us clearly in His Word all we need to know, all we need to believe, Will we let God reveal and give us that conclusion himself? I was thinking about this even with the news story that I showed you or those headlines the other day. Do you ever catch yourself kind of using Jesus? Um, we, we have him, but then we almost co-opt him into something that we want. And sometimes it's a very sanctified version, quote-unquote, uh, to protect our traditions, to keep us in a place of comfortability, um, to maybe even on extreme to, to excuse blatant sin. Well, you know, he ate with publicans and sinners, and we use all these ranges of things to try to distort him into who we want him to be. The other day I heard an author say this. This is convicting to me. He said, the way we deal with uncertainty, so things like I just showed you, the way we deal with uncertainty says a lot about whether Jesus is ahead of us leading or behind us just carrying our stuff. What kind of Jesus are you following? Are we letting him on his terms be Lord, letting him be sovereign, let him reveal to us who he is, or are we kind of using him just to carry our stuff? Because there's a lot ahead of us. I need Jesus out in front of me, don't you? But that requires me to be teachable and him to be the teacher. Let go of your arrived conclusions that don't have Jesus' authority and revelation apart. Let go of where you're excusing sin. Let go of it all and let Jesus reveal to you who he truly is. What are you doing and not doing with the teachings of Jesus that actually expose what you, uh, what you are doing or not doing with the teachings of Jesus, expose what you actually believe about the person of Jesus? Because if you believe he's God, you just take him at his word. But if you don't really believe that, you begin to parse things and kind of refashion things. Let him speak on his own terms. All right, lastly, go if you would to verse 44. And some of them which would have taken him, but no man laid hands on them. Then came the officers of the priest and Phar- chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? So the Pharisees or the Jewish leaders send these officers to capture Christ. Verse 46, <laughs> excuse me, as we read a moment ago, the officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Lastly, jot this down. Draw closer to Jesus' conclusive resolution. Jesus resolves all things. He brings us to a conclusion that otherwise we would never arrive at. Um, it's been interesting as I talk with my oldest son, Ian, and he's getting ready to get his license and, and all that goes with that. Several other of our young guys have gotten their license. I think Caleb drove himself to work and back, and that's like the talk right now, okay? And it, he got there safely and back. Um, and uh, 
And one of the things that clicked for Ian, I think he had already processed it, was you remember when you're, you have your permit, you're on your parents' insurance policy for free. But then, you know, I get my license. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, you're going to pay this much a month to have your own insurance, okay? And we had that kind of initial conversation. I said, you do know? He said, yeah, I do know. I, I've, I've done the homework on that. Adulthood, leaning into that. Isn't adulthood expensive? Don't you wish we could just be kids and go over there and let, you know, John's in here today, but I know when John's over there, he just hands out candy and just tells funny stories, and that's all they do. Don't you wish we could go back to that? Um, at least leave some of the obligations. I heard the other day someone said this, too much of adulthood is spent trying, this is hilarious to me, because this is my life, maybe not you. Too much of adulthood is spent trying to decipher whether someone is actually mad at you or they're just too tired. <laughs> maybe that's today with Time Change Sunday. I don't know if they're actually mad. They're just so tired they can't give me anything today. Okay? And it, it just the adulthood, the tensions, the navigating of those things as we grow. Can I tell you that God gives us clarity through Jesus that otherwise we would never reach? Those that I found, Jesus is their primary teacher, and many times their exclusive teacher. They have a resolution to them. They have, they've resolved some issues that otherwise they could never resolve. Hard things happening to what seem like decent people. Uh, whatever the, the, the things that are hard to reconcile, Jesus is the teacher. They've reached a resolution of that issue of faith and of trust and of dependence. Here we see in verse 40, 44 through 46 that the Pharisees send these officers and notice their conclusion. Uh, these men, these were not the, the infantry. These were the officers, men who had probably heard eloquent speeches before. And so they had the authority from their background to say, we've never heard a man speak like this man. With authority, with grace, with wisdom, nobody speaks like Jesus. All right, verse 47, notice their response quickly. Then answered them to the Pharisees and said, Are you deceived, also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. And so they dismiss this claim by the officers. What's interesting is they feel like them saying none of the Pharisees have accepted that that should blow them out of the water when it's to their shame. They did not recognize their Messiah. Uh, that, that, that's a, a point of... Uh, shame. It's not a point of credibility. Verse 50, it's interesting, right after saying none of us believe, then we find John, including Nicodemus, isn't that interesting? Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? Then answered and said they unto him, art thou also of Galilee? Search the, and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And so Nicodemus here, probably now a believer is willing to identify with Christ and to stand up in this moment. But these in the room are intimidated by him. And then one of the most sobering verses that brings us to our conclusion today, verse 53, and every man went unto his own house. So everybody's heard the same things, they've seen the same things, but everybody goes back to their house with their own conclusions. Can I tell you lovingly today, what matters between you and the master teacher is not what happens during this hour and a half or three or whatever I'm going to give you today. That's not what defines your relationship with Christ. It's what you do with him when you go home. Have you concluded, despite the controversy that swirls constantly around him, have you concluded that Jesus is who he claims to be? Are you going to go home with that today? Are you going to let him be who he claims to be as the master teacher in your own personal space? Who is Jesus? Not here. I hope when we come here, Jesus is the teacher. I hope his word is the authority. What I'm saying is, are we all going home and that's still true? He is the teacher. He calls the shots. He is the wise one. He is the, uh, the perfect one. He is the one that we submit to. I heard a statement the other day that brought conviction to me. He was talking about, have you ever noticed people want to get a position of leadership and then they don't want to lead? Have you noticed that? It's all about just like just trying to triangulate everybody and keep everybody at bay so I can hold on to this position as long as possible. He, an author said this, and I think this is really good. Beware of the man who wants to be in the arena but doesn't want to pick a side. Maybe the reason we're not leading and impacting and having salt and light, we're, we're, you know, a church's success is defined by its penetration into society. Why don't we make a difference in society? Because I don't know if we fully committed to Jesus. 
We want the philosophy of the world. We want the pragmatism of the world. We want our own sanctified version of that. And because we haven't gone fully in on Jesus, we're in the arena just going through the motions. Our kids don't pay attention. Our grandkids don't pay attention. Our coworkers, our neighbors, because we're not all in on Jesus. If he says it, it's true. If he, if he commands it, I'm going to yield to it. Is that Jesus uh, in our lives? Is he the master teacher? All right, last verse. Go to Isaiah for a moment, if you will, chapter 2. This is interesting to think about our relationship with Jesus and his teaching ministry into eternity. And this gives us just a little window or preview into that. Isaiah chapter 2, and if you would please, verse number 1. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse number 1. As you're turning there, you say, Pastor, how do I, how do I, I think most of us in the room sincerely want to take this and apply it. What are some ideas? And this is just, I hope you won't take this too specifically, but it'll give you at least something to maybe latch onto. I heard a a, a pastor who said, he posted this the other day, one of the best things you can do for your church, and I'm looking at the front row right now as I say this, is to sit in the front middle of the room, worship passionately, respond to your pastor's preaching. And then he said this, 10 people like that can change the atmosphere of a whole room lift hearts heavenward. Now, I'm not saying you have to sit in these first three rows, though those who are there or close, you're the most spiritual among us, okay? Um, but do you notice how, and some of you have at least somewhat viable reasons to sit toward the back, okay? I'll give you that. You have medical conditions, etc. I'm not mocking you for that. But do you know how often we give off the vibe that we're really not students, this is just one way to think of it. But like when you're in a room, I found I can learn from anybody. God can use anybody, if nothing else, to teach me humility, to just check my pride because I know they're wrong and I'm right, and yet no words come from my mouth if I'm in tune with him. Every place and every situation, I can learn from him. Some of you are in deep valleys that just seem to go on and on. There, Christ can meet you and teach you. Are you listening to him? Or are you whining to him? Are you complaining to him? He's willing to teach. We have to position ourselves as students. Now, with that being said, look here in chapter 2 of Isaiah. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, uh, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Right. So this is a vision about the future. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. What are they going to do there? Here it is, verse 3. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Here it is. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now this is a description of the millennial kingdom. This is a description of those who come to Jerusalem during this glorious kingdom of the Messiah, the religious and political capital of the world, to learn. I've heard this before, and maybe even I've said it before, but sometimes we talk in, as if when this life is done, then we'll have it all figured out. Well, you know, someday we'll know. Someday we'll just, we're done. We'll have uh, omniscience. We'll just know all things. You know how anti-biblical that is? We will learn forever from our God. We don't ever, ever, ever stop learning from Jesus. So I want to challenge you today. We ought to get used to that. It's not this life's over and I'm a genius. No, this life's over and he's still the teacher. And that's the means of intimate, close proximity to Jesus. Listen, we cannot be close to the teacher unless we are teachable. I brought it with me today and I didn't get Rod's permission, but one of the cool things in our small group, our discipleship group a few weeks ago, we started scripture memory, which I struggled today. I'll be honest with you. A few of the guys, they showed me up. We, were, we just started memorizing a few weeks ago. But Rod gave the, we, we kind of were processing, uh, you know, us guys. I didn't hear from the ladies any complaints or concerns, the kids, the youth. It's us guys, okay? And so we were processing that. And Rod, about three weeks in, we kind of hammered through that. Rod brought a ring notebook for every one of us to write out our scripture memory on. And I loved the encouragement that was to me. He gave me one. He gave every other guy in our discipleship group. His thought, and I think Rod would be the first to say that Scripture memory is something that he's working at, all right, as I am as well. But to see his desire to be teachable. Now, here's the thought with the illustration today. Do you know that we'll never run out of the need to add something new? And would we ever really want to? 
as Jesus teaches us something, and then we turn the page on that and probably review it again just to probably, and then he, he gives us something else. And then he gives us something else. The concern that I have, and probably you notice this even physically, is if we don't study regularly, we, use, we lose the knack for it. I want to hit heaven already in stride as a fully identifying student of Jesus Christ. And the only way to do that is to draw closer to him by him being the teacher that's established forever and me daily working to be teachable. You'll never be close to Jesus who's always trying to teach until you're willing to learn. Relearn things, rethink things, grow in your understanding of it. You don't know it all, and neither do I. But we know one who does. And soon all those things, the dots will begin to connect and things that seem to be so random and, and, and just senseless will be submitted to the authority and the wisdom and the power of our God through the person of Jesus Christ. Here's the question we'll pray. We allow God to give you a greater willingness to identify with the teaching of Jesus that always produces controversies. It just, it goes with the territory. And number two, one who would draw us and demand of us a conclusion. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today.